0: 18 games might be inevitable, but it's not coming anytime soon. If I were whoever's running the NFLPA at the time, this would be my beachhead. No 18th game. We'll strike rather than giving in 18th game. And what has happened in the past is that because players are not willing to go on strike, then they usually give in and give in to things like a 17th game. It's a league that talks about injury protection all the time. To be thinking about an 18th game is absolutely absurd. That is Peter King talking about uh, adding an 18th game. I didn't know there was chatter about that. I would prefer we didn't. Why? Why? Why would we even have conversations around an 18th game? I'm still trying to get used to the 17th game. Aesthetically, it's terrible. I can't listen. I'm not a math guy. I've never, I've never claimed to be a math guy, but this is. This is this is making it very difficult for people that want to remember what people's records are. I was listening to the afternoon show yesterday. And I think Bulldog was like, "Yeah, I could see them going like 11 and 6. Yeah, if I have to think about it, we've we've messed up. We, we need we've, to go back. We we failed as a society." Like if I'm being honest, I don't mind the 17th game. It's fine. Um I don't need more games. I get it. It's, what, what are we talking about? Here? It's revenue, right? An extra game is an extra broadcast, is an extra week, is extra money. That's all it is. But uh, it's already hard enough trying to compare players from, you know, eras. It's going to be impossible um, to compare people and stats and players from this era to historic ones. Because pre-lockout, I mean, what, there was f- f- 15 games? What was the pre-lockout game number? I believe it was. 15 games? I mean, yeah, because they've changed the number of games quite a few times. I'm just... Like, how can you compare the stats? Like, now you're going to have... I mean, well, you already have historic numbers in terms of passing and in terms of... um, Like, one of the things that, I guess, is interesting about, like... Thinking about where the NFL's going and just they're kind of just money sucking wherever they can. Like, we'll just take more money, even if it means putting players in more disadvantaged types of situations. Like, player safety is a thing and the league says they care about it. But if you're even having a conversation about 18 games, I mean, Peter King's right. I mean, that's just – it's absurd. I don't need – eighteen games of football. We get the playoffs. It's already extending into February. And as it is, the NFL never ends. The season never ends. Joining me on the Western hotline is Greg Thompson at cover one. He's you you know that the season never ends, Greg. You were making content year round and it's easy to make content now in the middle of May because the NFL gives us plenty of storylines in May. We don't need an eighteenth game, right, Greg?
1: No, it's crazy. I I you know I, I think there's obviously all kinds of exciting things that that they figured out ways to monopolize and they've now done additional week days of the week before they only owned one day of the week. And now they own multiple days of the week. And now they figured out how to add additional playoff teams. And now even on playoff weekend, you have double de- uh, double headers Saturday, Sunday and now a Monday night playoff game and all different ways that, you know, what used to be just, listing names of who is being picked off of a list is now a three-day primetime TV event. What used to be just sending out a calendar is now two weeks of slow announcements of schedule things. They've, they've figured out everything else. I, I won't be shocked if they find a way to pivot into one less preseason game and one more regular season game, but I was good with 16. I already didn't want 17.
0: Right. I mean, I just – I don't need more games to – like. I just, I don't, I can't even really get on the line of understanding how you could justify needing another game. I just, it's, the NFL well, has done such a good job, Greg, of being the focus. Like we're talking about in the middle of the NBA playoffs, we're talking about trades and quarterbacks and moves. Like the NFL has done a good job taking what the NBA has done really good, which is a lot of player movement, trade deadlines are sexy, exciting, free agency, sexy and exciting. The NFL has evolved in a lot of ways to become the focus of attention even when games aren't being played. So I just don't know what the desire of adding more games when you already have the attention of people in April, in May during OTAs, and in June and July during training camp. Like you can take a month off.
1: Well the funny part is I'm a huge hypocrite cuz as soon as they switch over and add an 18th week, I'll also watch. I mean that's a fact. I mean that's long. a fact. That's a fact.
0: <laughs> that's a fact. That we digress. That 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 means nothing,
1: you know. Yeah, it's funny. They know they got us. They know they got us. That's my addiction. Football is my drug, and I'm 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 comfortable admitting it.
0: Yeah right. I mean, it is what it is, right? Like I say that I hate you, but when I tell you I hate you, I really will watch you every moment of every day. So it just is. It is what it is. Um, we're sick, and that, that that just is what it is. Greg, I wanted to. Well, I wanted to bring you on for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, you guys had your podcast last night, so I wasn't able to watch it because I was also doing mine live as well. Yeah. But the topic that you guys brought up on the on the podcast yesterday about you know the Bills and their opponents of you know teams that I think it was last year you said five opponents on the Bills schedule last year were coming off of a bye week when they played them. Now shifting to this year and this schedule coming up for 2022, they play zero teams coming off the bye week this year. And I'm wondering, like, you know, historically, how much of an actual advantage that is? I don't know if you did any research to, like, look at the numbers of, like, what the records our teams are, are coming off of their bye week. Like, is there a correlation between getting that extra week of, um, you know, like, preparation? Or, you know, like, I look back at last year, I don't know what their record was against those five teams coming off the bye. But I thought it was really interesting. They went from five, which seems like an extraordinary amount of games, to zero. It seems like quite the shift.
1: Yeah, it was actually a couple years earlier. It wasn't last season, um, but the Bills had a horrible run where every year, because they were never the prominent factor in the schedule making, they were just kind of the fill-in team. They weren't. No, t- no na- networks were arguing over who got the Bills game. No one was, you know, lobbying to make sure that they could lock in those games. They got the short end of the stick over and over and over again. And they had seasons with, you know, three teams coming off a bye, four teams coming off a bye, and one with five teams coming off a bye. So this year, to have zero is not that that was intentional, It's just good fortune. Um, but the reason that comes up is, you know, I'm a huge fan of Warren Sharp and his group with Sharp Football Analysis. They're heavy into the gambling side of things. And there is a direct correlation that rest advantages net out as a higher probability of winning. And you're talking instead of the normal 50-50, you start to see 55-45, 58-42, Um, which over the long stretch really does add up. So the Bills actually have the most net rest advantage in the NFL. They have 13 more days of extra rest than the rest, than their opponents do over the season. The only two games where they have a disadvantage are off Monday night games where they play a Monday nighter and then play Sunday. So each of them are only a one day, uh, disadvantage. And the games they have that are in their favor where they have more rest than their opponents happen to come on each of their biggest matchups of the season. So, wow. you know, we've lost, lost to the Titans two two years in a row. They have extra rest on that game. They have an extra rest advantage against the Chiefs. They have an entire week advantage against the Packers who are coming off a road game while the Bills are coming off a bye. So all of the biggest games there are where they have the rest advantage. So... You know, it's still a tough schedule. They're a first place team, so they're playing a first place schedule. That's always going to be tough, but at least it lines up pretty favorably of when the games are. And when they have a little extra
0: rest, like I wonder too. If you're, you know, I think Mike North is the guy that handles a mm-hmm. lot of the, at least the PR and a lot of the. I'm not sure what his, you know, general role is. I, I know think he
1: leads he... the team that creates. Got gotcha. you. So leads the team that creates it.
0: I wonder if, like year to year, I, I assume like if you were to extra- like put up on a on a on a big whiteboard like the factors of a schedule. I wonder like travels up there. Um, you know, the Bills. Did, what was it, Pittsburgh? So there, there's an AFC team that does not play a game outside of the Eastern it is time Pittsburgh. zone. It's Pittsburgh. It Pittsburgh. That's yeah. absurd.
1: I, a fun one that I heard was when Seattle plays against Tampa in the, the first uh, regular season yep. game in Germany in NFL history, they will have to travel 10,800 miles oh, the, the Pittsburgh in that one trip. The Pittsburgh Steelers, on the whole, Will travel six thousand eight hundred miles for all of their road games combined, wow. and the the, the Seahawks are going farther than that in their one. Granted, an overseas game, but yeah, the 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 Pittsburgh Steelers never leave the Eastern time zone through their entire season. It's a pretty pretty nice bonus.
0: That is – and just from competitive and from a competitive balance perspective, like Pittsburgh not having to play any games in the Western time zone, I don't know – like especially if you're playing – now the NFL does a good job of not sending an East Coast team out West to play a 1 o'clock game um, because, I mean, you don't want to have them playing at what would be what, like 9 a.m. normally playing a a 1 o'clock game, whereas if you're a West Coast team coming out East Coast – it's normally nine a m there but you're playing at one o'clock. It could be kind of hard to make that transition, but I do think the n f l does a good job of 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 at least not making the advantage overly noticeable for either side when they have to travel,
1: yeah, you know obviously much of it is on rotation. they're not deciding who the teams are playing, everything's pretty set they hey, you go in order. And you play this division, and then the next year you play that division, and then the next year you play that division, and you play each division you know, once every four years. You know you're playing your um, intra-division teams twice a year. That's happening no matter what. And then you also rotate the other in-conference divisions each year. The only one that's new is that 17th game where it's an extra, um, you know, NFC team versus an AFC team matchup. So those ones are also rotating uh, just opposite the other division that they're playing. So much of it – is is set and it just happens so it's not like they chose not to send the Steelers anywhere this year it just happens they play the nfc east they play the afc east. so they're staying in the eastern time zone when those things happen and that their home game in the nfc east is dallas otherwise dallas would have been central time zone so going through each of those some of that's just random dumb luck but they do try to be better about it the ones that really affect them are logical it's you know short weeks and an away game so are you on short rest and you had to add in travel there's a couple teams I think the Eagles have like four of those. That's kind of nasty where they're on short rest and they're on a road game. Um there's some teams that uh, I think the Detroit Lions is another uh, quirky one. They don't have less rest than their opponent once all year. Every single game is either equal amounts of rest or the Lions have more rest. That's kind of a crazy thing to see. So you know, they try to get better each year. They try not to stack up a ton of you know, road Monday night games to then turn around and host a short week, road Sunday games to turn around and host a short yeah. week. You know, they try to give the teams actually have options of who the buy teams can be if they want their buy after an international game. So if you play an international game, you can choose that your buy week will mm. be the next week and the teams get to pick that or else they don't get to pick when it would be otherwise, but they can say, no, don't put it after the international game. You can fit it in randomly wherever it is. So there's some things they've tried to get better about, but there's still room for improvement left.
0: Yeah, the Bills got out, I I think they unscathed in terms of the international games this year. I would bet, Greg, that that won't be a trend moving forward. I've got the feeling the Bills are probably on tap for an international game next year, and I would guess it's probably one they host. Like, they're the
1: hosting team. I I agree, and I I think that that is one where the teams lobby. They don't want to lose a home game. They want to make sure that they... um, do that. So I'm sure the Pagulas rightfully will lobby that, but they'll also likely try to fit one of those in before the new stadium. Because yep. if you're gonna My lose a whole exactly. game yep. yeah, you wanna do it before you get to the new stadium. So hey, let's get one of those out of the way here in the next three seasons after this one. And I agree. You've seen this year obviously the bills are put um some te- some people define prime time as the literal prime time. Is it a nighttime game that's after eight PM in prime time T V I always equate primetime in NFL terms is are you the only game on TV? As do Are I. you the only game that they're broadcasting? Yep. Is it the the only show? And when you add in the fact that they got the maximum five primetime games, which is the most you're allowed to have, plus the the noon kickoff on Thanksgiving, plus I would guess that one of those um, New Year's Eve or Christmas yep. Day games get put into a prime time into a, a standalone spot. Plus, they did the one of them isn't even the Chiefs game, which is the 425. That'll be the Romo and Nance game on CBS that almost everybody will be watching. Yep. So you're talking, there's very likely they're going to get to eight or nine games that every fan in football is going to be watching. That's awesome. How crazy is it that the Buffalo Bills are in a spot where half our games, the entire NFL fan base is going to be watching?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's. It's awesome. There's no doubt about it. I long mean, long time coming. Long time coming, right? And and you know, seeing the Bills as the you know the Super Bowl favorite, seeing Josh Allen as the MVP favorite. There's a lot of you know sort of movement for this fan base. Like if you're if you've been a fan for a long time, and the national ignorance essentially, right? Like for the most part, the national media has ignored the Bills for the better part of three decades. And I mean, you know, it, to to maybe defend the national media in not talking about the Bills, there hasn't been much to talk about, but there is now. And I think. You know, going into this season, Greg, the great I don't know the, the the great differentiator of the conversations around the Bills this year that still has been a conversation. Maybe I would like to hear more of is is just the unknown of both the offense and defense this year. I mean, Leslie Frazier comes back, and regardless of you know what Leslie Frazier does if he ends up leaving, getting a coaching job next year, Sean McDermott's core principles will always be adopted by whoever takes over. Now that can't the same can't be said about the offense where on the offense we're seeing a first time play caller take over. We have not seen. Josh Allen without Brian Dable, you know, there's some question marks about, you know, is Jamison Crowder just going to, is he going to be as good as Colby? Is he, could he be better? Um, you know, what does this offense look like? I'm sort of in this mindset of, I love that the Bills are being talked about as Super Bowl favorites. I love that they're sort of the favorite in the AFC right now over Kansas City, considering the moves that had happened to them this year, but the rest of the AFC made a lot of moves as well. Just, I just, I think maybe just to make myself feel a little bit better, I would like to, maybe not talking so many absolutes and talking more of like, yeah, I believe the Bills are a Super Bowl favorite this year, but also it's very fair to say that I have no idea what this offense looks like this year.
1: Yeah, and I do think on both sides of the ball, I don't expect sweeping changes, but on both sides of the ball, I expect some tweaks and some updates, and we've seen it a couple directions. We'll start on offense. Obviously, we don't know what kind of offense Ken Dorsey is going to call. I have a feeling it was fairly important to confirm. Hey, we're not changing language here. You're not changing the play, the, the play call style of what their you know terminology and things like that. For Josh. He, he's really set in in that way. But this is your offense, and we've already seen a little bit there. Aaron Cromer is a much different offensive line coach than Bobby Johnson was. You know, this is a pretty significant shift from that direction and how much he values athleticism and movement and the potential of having the zone. Uh, scheme that's in there and and how that can lead into some of the fun that you can get with some zone runs off of RPOs and pieces like that with Josh. Um, We know that both Aaron Cromer and Ken Dorsey in this past favored a bit more with two tight ends on the field. We see that reinforced with the the signing of O.J. Howard and how there's now more uh, ability there. And then you add in a guy, uh, a a name that I know a lot of Bills fans aren't familiar with, but I have a feeling is going to play a role this year. David Questenberry is... Mm a really solid run-blocking tackle. He started all 17 games for the Titans last year, who are the number one team in the AFC. So that's a legit piece. He's obviously not going to be pushing Spencer Brown or Deion Dawkins for a role here, but he's a legit sixth lineman that you can come in in heavy sets and is a mauler in run games. So now you have the option of, hey, you can bring in a guy like that. It's not just kind of on a whim with a fifth-round rookie from Tommy Doyle. You now have a road grader coming in there Mm -hmm. with two tight ends and you're in that situation where you can put James Cook in the backfield, everybody switches, they go heavy on defense and oh my gosh, we've got to stop this. Well now you can pivot out and put Dawson Knox and O. J. Howard out in routes. You can put, you know, James Cook out into the formation and good luck keeping up with that with two extra linebackers on the field or fifth defensive lineman. And I like the idea of being able to play around with that. We're still going to be mostly an 11 personnel team yep. that's three receivers, one tight end, one running back. But I think we see a little bit more variation. You go on the defensive side of the ball, we're still going to be a predominantly nickel team. It's going to be f- five defensive backs, two linebackers, four defensive linemen. You know, but I think Von Miller's going to force them to say, hey, it's okay to have a guy up on the two-point stance. It's okay to have a guy out in a
0: wide nine position. Mm. Cause we didn't give him...
1: $120 million right. to change to put, what
0: he does. To put him in, a, it, it, to sort of like lock him into a certain type of role. I totally agree with that. Yeah,
1: and, and then all of a sudden people were, were very curious, and myself included, I was like, hey, Terrell Bernard's not a, you know, not a Edmonds replacement. What is this? Well, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's, hey, we needed an upgraded 2.0 version of it. A.J. Klein. Yeah. where if we bring a third linebacker on the field, we're not all of a sudden a coverage liability, and we can do more things more Um And when we want to have teams that go heavy, that same personnel I rattled off for the Bills side, if we teams go heavy like that against us, we don't want them to be able to audible and move guys in motion and split out wide, and all of a sudden we've got... A.J. Klein one-on-one versus a running back split out wide. Now Terrell Bernard can play that role. So um, I think those are the little tweaks. We're still going to be, you know, a heavy pass, pass first, pass second, pass third offense. We're still going to have a ton of receivers on the field, but we have uh, a changeup that we can bring in. On defense, we're still going to be a nickel team that's going to try to get pressure with the front four but now we've got a little bit of a trump card on that front four and that we have some different players we can bring in with a little more versatility in the backside of the field. So um, I don't think we see sweeping changes, but I think we see some new tweaks and some new variations we haven't seen before.
0: Greg Tom said, "A cover one here on our West Her Hotline. We're talking Bills. And, you know, Greg, I think this is such a fascinating conversation about the defense because what I was kind of talking about yesterday a little bit about, like, the, the Bernard pick to me indicates a desire and, like... We probably don't talk about this enough in the NFL with continuity, as it's always viewed as this super positive thing. When you have continuity, that means things are working and you're bringing people back and you're developing well and so on and so forth. But continuity can also mean predictability. And I think the Bills last year, specifically early in the season, became way too predictable offensively in throwing the football. And all of us agree... We all want the Bills to throw the football. We don't want them to turn into a, a quote, balanced team because I think balance is the worst word to use in the course of trying to define an NFL offense because balance to me is not at the end of the year, what is the percentage of run to pass? Balance to me is, hey, this week it might be 80-20 pass to run, and next week it might be 60-40, and the week later it might be 50-50 because it's all matchup based, but Balance to me is just a cop-out word that I I, I think just gets misused a lot about NFL offenses. So for me, Greg... You bring in O.J. Howard. You draft Terrell uh, Bernard on the defensive side of the ball. You re-sign Cyril Neal. Like I think about this team wanting to become less predictable, and not just the plays that are called, but the personnel packages that they can deploy. And I think about a team like Indianapolis. I think about a team like Baltimore. I think about a team like Cleveland, who can do multiple things. Right? They can air it out. They can become a spread team. They can run four wides. They can throw the football. Or they can run three tight ends, or in the case of Baltimore, they can run seven tight ends uh, at you and run 17 personnel. They're going to make that, I'm promising you, Greg. But like at the end of the day, you now have the ability to say, sure, we'll just run standard 4-3 against your three tight end set, or we'll run big nickel with Cyr and Neal. Like they just have so many versatile options in terms of personnel groupings. And I think that will lead to versatility in the plays that they're able to call. And I even want to throw Kyrie Elam in this, Craig, because Ugh. that to me is a guy that can play press man, and so can Trey White. But the reason that you didn't play press man universally, there was a lot of times last year when before Trey White's injuries where or injury but that you might see, you know one half of the defensive backfield running cover two and the other half running man or one half running quarters and the other running two man. So like they're going to be able to be more versatile across the board. If they want to run full press man, they can do that now.
1: Yeah. And they have a lot more versatility, things we didn't see before. It also had the domino effect of reducing how much flexibility Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde had, because they always had to protect Dane Jackson or Levi Wallace, they won't have to do that now. And, you know, on offense, I'm always going to believe in, you know, Josh Allen is the centerpiece of this franchise. He's the best player in the NFL. We need to be able to pass the ball. I only want to pass the ball 70% of the time. I want to have that that changeup to be able to keep them off balance. I want to be better at running the ball the 30% of the time that we do it. I don't want to be better so that we want to get anywhere close to 50-50. I just want teams to have to worry about it, that when we do run the ball, it's part of their game plan, and they can't only focus on the pass defense. So um, I think they've added a couple of those wrinkles. I'm excited to see it, but uh, that fastball is going to be humming just fine when the season comes.
0: Greg, uh, before I let you go, I'm obligated, and I have asked everybody on the show that I brought on today, to just simply, NBC Sports Boston, this week, talks about how there's a lot of people, not just in the media, but within that organization, starting to wonder what the hell the Patriots are doing with Joe Judge, and what the hell they're doing with the offensive staff that they've put together. i I know it's kind of like a punchline joke, and we're 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 being light about this. But I really get the sense that I, I think I want to be careful saying this. Is the game is the game starting to pass Bill Belichick by? Just I'm going <laughs> to whisper it. I don't want to say it full like I don't want to be loud about it. But it's really feeling like the game is passing him by.
1: So this season is going to be the ultimate litmus test because I don't care what anyone out there says about what Joe Judge's role is, what Matt Patricia's role is, Bill Belichick is going to try to run the offense this season. And he's spent his entire life knowing football. He's one of the the smartest football minds that's ever lived and he's going to try to put take his hand at running offense this year and that's why he didn't bring in any established offensive mind no person in that entire organization has ever created an offensive scheme has ever called offensive plays in an nfl football game has ever been an offensive coordinator or coordinated an overall offensive game plan in the in the nfl now i agree i agree that joe judge and matt patricia and bill belichick are smart football people and that you know i'm sure they can kind of figure that out but to roll the dice in your, you know, I think, surprisingly good rookie quarterback second year, and to just hope that you can figure that out is going to be wild to watch in reality. And I think it's going to have Bill Belichick's direct fingerprints all over He's going to leave the defense to Gerard Mayo and his son Steve, and he's going to take a dabble at offense, and I have no idea what that's going to mean.
0: <laughs> I just want to watch Steve Belichick do that weird tongue thing, uh, while he's calling like, like wham for the for the fifteenth time in a row,
1: tongue, that he's smelling his tongue. I, I, I think that's what.
0: It yeah, or like or like maybe pushing his facial hair into his nose so that he can smell the flavor saver. You know, <laughs> but just like like I, I just envision like after a, a post game press conference after week one after Joe Judge kneels the ball on third down so he gets a better punting position that there's just going to be a lot of questions he's going to say something like you know we were like uh, we had Tyler Dunn on and like some of the things that Joe Judge has said are like I think I think he makes up scenarios in his head because he was saying something along the lines of like yeah like we were almost fired in 2018 when I was with the Patriots like that whole staff almost got fired and it was like no, no. Are you, you sure about that? <laughs> are you sure, are you real. are you sure, Joe? Cuz I think you are making that up. I don't that's not a real that's not rooted in truth, Joe. Give me a break. It's Listen, I I know it's it's funny and like Joe Judge and Patricia, but these are two of some of the least respected people amongst players in the league. And like that's the thing to me, Greg, is we'll never hear Mac Jones. We'll never hear one of these players come out and say it, but it doesn't mean their body language won't
1: yeah, yeah, it's it's wild to roll the dice like that in the second year of a rookie contract. Off of, like I said, a surprisingly good rookie year um, from from Mac Jones. I'm I'm very very eager to see how this turns out. It's going to be interesting.
0: All right, buddy. Well, enjoy your Saturday. Thanks for making time for me as always. I appreciate always. it. Uh, tell the folks where, uh, if for whatever reason they're not following Cover One and they don't watch Cover One Buffalo, tell them where they can find you.
1: Absolutely. So you can go on YouTube, search Cover One. We are there, Cover One Buffalo. My my, my uh, host, uh, Aaron Quinn, and I host a show every Wednesday night for you and during the season, Wednesday nights and post-game shows right afterwards. But you can follow me on Twitter, at Greg Tomset, and our, our station handle, at Cover One. Come and find us.
0: Awesome, brother. Appreciate you, and enjoy the weekend. We'll talk again soon. Thanks. Greg Tomset there, Cover One. I'm going to take a timeout. I'll, uh, we've got Brian Koziel. He's going to join us around 140, 145 or so. He's live from Batavia Downs. Preakness Stakes today, this evening. Uh, we'll have that live for you, live pregame. That's what we call that, pre-race show here on WGR. So Brian will have that for you coming up here. We're going to talk a little PGA Championship. That's all next here on WGR. All right, welcome back. I'm going to uh, kind of set the stage. I'm going to get a break in here so that Brian Koziel and I uh, can can speak uninterrupted about the PGA Championship, which is underway. It's now moved over to CBS from ESPN. Will Zelotor, uh he tees off at 250 this afternoon. He is in sole possession of the lead at 9-under. Uh, if you've been watching, it's been a difficult morning for Tiger Woods, who's now 14 over par. Um, not been good for he got, our, he got another bogey? Yeah, it looks like it. Wow. It's not been good for Tiger today. It's cold, there's wind, not great conditions. And after watching him struggle through uh just with the leg yesterday, I was I was surprised that I know he made the cut, but I was surprised he didn't withdraw. Um, and like watching him struggle the way that he is right now, I just I know he finishing the tournament means something to him, but you know, I, I'm he's still working through a devastating leg injury that almost cost him his leg. So um, we'll talk to Brian Cozy a little bit about Tiger, Will Zalatoris, who is going for his first uh, major victory. Justin Thomas is on that leaderboard. Bubba Watson with a great day yesterday at five under. He is the second to last tee time at 240. It's Bubba and Justin Thomas at the 240 tee time. Must watch television if you're a golf fan. So Brian Cozy is going to join me next live from Batavia Downs here on WGR. Alright, I, I was just watching the PGA Championship live, and Kramer Hickok has arguably one of the most unbelievable bogeys I have ever seen. Brian Kozio is live with me from Batavia Downs. Brian, have you, are, are, do you have the TV on? Were you watching what just happened?
2: It's on. Unfortunately, I was setting up my equipment here. so let Getting me, it set, so you're going to have to describe it for me. Let
0: me play this out for you. Kramer Hickok is in kind of an un... He's on a... Uh, an upslope in a, in a bunker. So his foot is, you know, like at, at chest level. He hits his first shot out of the bunker, hits the top of the bunker, hits his shoe, and gets buried where the shoe mark in the sand was. So he has to hit through his sand mark. Like, you can't see the ball. It's not visible on the screen hits the shot it comes back down to the center of the bunker so now he's hitting three out of the bunker his third shot dunks it coming out of the bunker and oh John Rahm, John Rahm's sitting right next to him like are you kidding me he just fived that and it would a double would have been a win coming out of there and he ends up getting a five that was one of the most unbelievable sequences I've ever seen just unfortunate that he had two terrible, unplayable lies, and he figures out a way to uh, to, to to get a five and, and and skate out of there with a five. It's unbelievable. Brian, um, well, first of all, before we get into talking about the PGA uh, Championship here, so we got the Preakness today. You're live at Batavia Downs. Tell us what's going on today.
2: Yeah, it's uh, round, what, leg two, I should say, of the Triple Crown and our Triple Crown shows back here at Batavia Downs. It's the Preakness, and uh, tonight, 7 o'clock, it'll be uh, run, and unfortunately, the... The, the huge story of the Kentucky Derby won't play out yep. this afternoon. Is Rich Strike, the second largest underdog long shot in the history of horse racing and the Derby, uh, won't be racing this week. So, unfortunately, uh, that storyline, which is obviously something interesting to talk about, kind of is on the back burner. Um, the plan is maybe for them to put uh, Rich Strike up to race at the Belmont in a couple of weeks from now. But The horse that was on its way to victory before it was caught in the last uh, few seconds there, Epicenter, uh, is racing today and is the favorite. So that'll be uh, a horse that we'll obviously be talking about quite a bit here over the course of the three hours.
0: All right, so let's do the obligatory thing. I, it's not like I want to get the Tiger Woods conversation out of the way, but he's really struggled today, Brian. The, I imagine it's the temperature out there. It was cold. It's been windy. The patented stinger has just not been in the bag of tricks for Tiger over the last two days. I, for him to make the cut, I thought, was an incredibly impressive feat for him, considering the guys that missed the cut in this tournament, including the number one player in the world, Scotty Scheffler. But – I mean, he is at twelve over right now. He did get a birdie on his last hole, but it is—it's been a struggle. It's been hard to watch, Brian.
2: It has, and it's too bad that you know we we are going to have to watch Tiger probably struggle through these rounds here on the weekend. And he's going to get a lot of television coverage as he does, no matter what he does when he's out on the golf course. Um, I, I just I hope that he doesn't feel like there's some sort of obligation that right. if he if he thinks he's doing damage. Now, he says he's not in terms of continuing. He's going to be the last guy to withdraw. He yep. just doesn't do that. Rory McIlroy said, look, he goes, I'd play with, you know, a lot of guys that would be thinking about just walking off and saying that's it for this tournament. But Tiger doesn't do that. That's why Tiger is special. But um, I- I'm sure he will we'll gut it out. I'm sure it will be at times painful to watch him limp through it, uh, the uh, the remaining holes left here and then into tomorrow. Um, the only thing I can think of is that he, th- he says he needs – reps and tournament reps this is clearly very tough conditions to do so under so maybe that's what his kind of his focus right now is look i need all the reps i can get at some point i if i'm going to play and wanted to be thinking about winning then well i've got to get my game back so i'm, I'm guessing that's probably what's driving him right now to keep going out there.
0: There's another obligatory golfer we'll talk about here in just a moment in uh, in Rory McIlroy, but I want to ask you about Will Zalatoris, who's found himself in a position after 36 holes in the lead and you know, at, at least historically, Brian the winner of this tournament is is typically the guy that's leading after 36 holes. This is a unique challenge at this course and Will Zellatoris is in a, in a position that he has not found himself really over the course of his career, which is leading a major after 36 holes. Uh, how do you oh. navigate today if you're will Zalatoris because I think today is an interesting animal in itself the weather has not been great it's cold we know that the distances aren't going to be what it is the ball's not going to spin the way that it normally does do you feel like if Zalatoris can just go out today and shoot even par maybe one under that that is maybe his best route in putting himself in position tomorrow in a final round pairing to to maybe get this thing over the hump and get his first major victory
2: yeah I think anything under par today for Zalatoris is a win easy to say but probably right. critical the first few holes nate just mentally how do you go forward he's going to be feeling the pressure for being in the final group seeing his name on the top of the leaderboard as he walks around the course all day and he's never won before on the pga tour it's it's weird we were talking about this morning on td green like zala is a guy that last year finished solo second at the masters this year tied for fifth he's been big time in That's majors right. in these last two seasons But he's really relatively new to the tour. He still hasn't even won yet. Last year, he was so new to the tour that he wasn't even eligible to participate in the FedEx Cup playoffs because he didn't even have full tour status yet. So uh, this is a guy that seems to be like, you know, if if you follow golf every week, you're thinking, oh, if this guy wins, not surprising at all. But he's never won. And this is his full official uh, first year on the PGA Tour. So it's an interesting story to see. We, of course, know that guys have won their first event in a major before a lot of times they win and we're like, Oh, what's this all about? And then a lot of times maybe you don't hear from them That's right. much that often. And probably the best example of that is a guy that won an Oak Hill in 2003, Sean McKeel, one little known guy, but comes up with a monster shot of the final hole that'll go down in golf history forever. And he never won again. Now for Zalatoris, I think because he's such a good ball striker, I don't think that'll happen But guys have won their first major, have won their first event in a major. John Daly did it at the PGA. So, you know, that can happen where guys just all of a sudden come out at the right time. And uh, why not for Zalatoris? If he's putting well, that's been his struggle through his first two years here that we've seen him. Uh, If he's putting well, then he's definitely got a chance to win because he hits it as well as anybody. He's known as one of the best ball strikers on the tour right now.
0: So, Rory obviously leads after the first round. Well, he led when he left, and then Justin Thomas came out and, 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 and posts that score that he did. You know, I, I think it's fair to say that right now, when you're looking, and crazy to see Bubba Watson up there as well. I, this doesn't really remind me of the kind of course where you would get this sort of patented Bubba performance that we're seeing. But, like, to me, Zalatoris is a great story going into this, but I'm still kind of laser-focused, Brian, on both McElroy and JT, maybe being the two that will figure out only because of their experience going into Sunday. I, I It would not surprise me if Zelatoris won, because he's sort of been knocking on that door like you've been talking about in the last couple of majors, but I think it would be surprising if he's able to fend off both Thomas and McElroy as we head into Sunday.
2: Yeah, there's three major winners that are right there. Thomas and McElroy. you mentioned, and I like Thomas just as much as anybody. I, yep. I think how good he's playing right now, he got, I thought, kind of the, the bad end of the weather draw. On Thursday, Friday, he played uh, in the in the late group on Thursday when the winds started to pick up, and then the early group yesterday when the winds were stronger. And uh, we know he's got the pedigree to win. He's won a PGA before. Uh, and McIlroy, of course, uh, we know has won. But it hasn't been a while for McIlroy. Yep. He's in a different spot. Rory usually shoots himself in the foot in the first right, round. Right. And now is back and uh, at the top. So he hasn't been in this spot in quite a while. And let's not forget Bubba Watson. He shot a 63 yesterday. He's a two-time major champion at the Masters. Uh, his game, uh, always we've thought, can it translate to other majors? Well, so far, so good for Watson halfway through here. So there's three guys that have won majors that are there. Uh, probably the less known player out of the all of this is Mido Piera, who's in yeah. second place there. Uh, one behind. And, you know, as far as his concern, you know, normally guys like this don't stick around. So I would be surprised... If he does, credit for him if he handles this pressure well, as he'll be in the final group with Zelatoris.
0: All right, Brian. Well, enjoy this afternoon and your pre-race coverage. We'll be uh, listening here from two to five, and then uh, race coverage, of course, here in WGR as well. So uh, enjoy it today, Brian, and uh, make sure Ryan hooks you up with some like uh, some solid chicken fingers or something. I heard they got some pretty good new uh, new menu items over there at Thirty Four Rush. So, and uh, I'm sure I'm sure he'll uh, he'll he'll get it hooked up for you.
2: So today. Uh, here, as you know, they have a party for all the Triple Crown races. Yep, this is this would be right up your alley. Tacos and tequila oh. is the theme, and let's just say I looked at the uh, the spread for how you could create your own taco. There's a lot of nice fun in terms of the the toppings. And and the items. I, I know you're you're as you as you like to tout yourself a food kind of. That's right. So, that is right. Uh, I, I do you, you would have a good time here today.
0: I, I well, you know. Listen, every time I go there to do remotes, Ryan makes sure uh, makes sure that I am I am well taken care of on the food front. So I figured he'd be taking care of you as well. So appreciate it, well, buddy. Yep. Ryan is here, by the way. One hundred percent. We're taking care of our friends from WGR, Nate. Absolutely. Oh, I, I I would <laughs> never. I would never think otherwise, buddy. So
2: don't you <laughs> worry. Uh, Nate, wait till you see the outfit on Ryan today. He had a good one. For uh for the derby with the horseshoes the yellow suit he's got a, another good one today I'll I'll tweet out a please picture here do. shortly
0: please do please do he he in terms of like you know Jeremy and I are the are the golf outfit connoisseurs there is something to be said about Ryan's uh, race day outfits uh, they are <laughs> they are in line with what Jeremy and I would say are elite so they are appreciate it absolutely all right fellas all right. We'll enjoy today. Thanks, guys. All right. That'll do it for me here on Sports Talk Center. We're going to kick it over to Brian Kozio live from Batavia Downs for the Preakness Stakes, which uh, will be taking place the main race, 7 p.m., but uh, several more to come here on WGR.